All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Hey guys, Tim here. Have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? Or maybe you've got one that just doesn't seem to be growing the way you want it to. I'm going to be teaching an online course to share everything I've learned about growing Dropping the Gloves. In this course, we'll be covering how to start your own show and plan your content, monetize your podcast, build an audience, create a brand identity, leverage audience feedback, and analyze data in a way that's actionable. Here's the catch, though. You can find information about basically all of those things from a simple Google search. So I'm not going to share boring how-tos or best practices. Instead, I'll be sharing real stories from our experience with growing the show and the important lessons we learned along the way, mistakes we made, what we wish we did differently, and how we turned a fun side project into a real business. And most importantly, how you can apply these lessons to your own podcasts. It's a 90-minute class that you can attend either of two nights, October 23rd and November 14th. You can find a link to more information in the bios of any of our social media pages, but also feel free to message me if you have any questions. I hope to see you there. afternoon everybody thank you for joining us here on another episode of dropping the gloves episode 571 tim very exciting and it could be the best one yet we have an interview today with a legit hollywood superstar it's not very often you come across guys like this he's a renaissance man he does it all he acts he was a stanley cup champion he does it all jordan nolan is joining the show jordan thank you for being here today yeah thanks for having me Oh, what a pleasure. So I know you via your father. Obviously, I played with him. His dad, I think everybody knows. I know it's Ted Nolan. He was my coach in Buffalo before he got unceremoniously ousted for the second time, which is a whole other ball of wax we're not going to get into. This is about Jordan today. So we we do these agendas, Jordan, and I didn't realize you, you're two-time cup champ. I knew the one. Yeah, I say... Yeah, how do you do? You, do you do one in the quarter? No, I do more than that. Like a half? No, three quarter, not two, two, two and two and a quarter. I, I go as far as saying two and a half. When you say people though, hey, I'm Jordan, two time Stanley Cup champ, or do you go? How do you well, introduce yourself? I just say I'm, I'm Jordan Nolan. Nice to meet you. Usually, I don't. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't talk about. I'm Jordan Nolan, LA Kings, uh, two time Stanley Cup champion, uh, Jim Moncrave. Shorzy, so 
But no, I keep it simple. Just Jordan Nolan. But no, I was there for I played every game in in 2012, mm-hmm. and then 2014, I was a regular, and I started the first series against San Jose. We went down three, and then they uh, put in Pearson, I believe. So uh, so yeah, and then I was also with St. Louis, up and down for most of the year. I played, I want to say, 19 games that season, and then I joined them for the uh, for the cup run, where I we can get into all this later. But I got yeah, uh, and then I took warm up because Barbashev or Sunquist got suspended in the finals in Boston, so it was between me and uh, uh, Sanford to go on game three, I think, at home in St. Louis. So it was pretty close. I want to play that one game to get my name on the third one. Let's get into that right now. I don't care about later. What what happened? Why weren't you on the roster? You, you obviously had some playoff pedigree. You you like you said you played twenty games in the playoffs for your first playoff in twelve. Why not? What happened in St. Louis? St. Louis. I mean, it was weird because, I mean, we were black aces. We didn't join the team until the second round. We, you know how it is. You skate on your own. You're not skating with the team. You're not working out with the team. Um, so I pretty much would hop on the ice at the end of practice or morning skate. And then we would play a little three-on-three game, mm-hmm. have some fun. And then that would go on for a couple of weeks, right, until the Stanley Cup Finals. And then one day, uh, Sunquist or Barbershop got suspended. And then my name was on the uh, on the practice roster so it took practice and you know i think it was uh you know one of the coaches they'll make sure you're you're getting ready to play there's a, there's a very good chance you could play where you know i haven't played since april i believe in the american league and uh and sanford played i think he played near the end of the season but sanford was from boston also um again it's you know how it is it's just Oh yeah, it's, it's, it's not. Uh, yeah, it's it's a big series, but you're a fourth line player. You you kind of have that that pedigree of what they need. So you know, chip it out. Don't turn it over. Don't make any mistakes. That's pretty much your job, right? In those kind of series. But no, they went with uh, Sanford, and I think he played really well that game. I believe. But they told me like how close it, it was to to beat in that game. Yeah, that's that's pretty neat. I've never obviously never been in that situation, but let's backtrack. I think we got ahead of ourselves. I think you were yeah. right. We sh- we should have started from the beginning. This is a fighting show, Jordan, as you know, dropping the gloves. I was known for fighting in the NHL. I want to talk about your fighting. Was it always a part of your game? I know I don't want to keep bringing up your dad, but he's a hard-nosed type player. He was the guy who gave me I got third-line minutes playing for him for Pete's sake. What was that always ingrained in you growing up? Because you're from Ontario, I want to say. Was it Northern just a part Ontario. of your lifestyle growing up and then it just translated into hockey? Or how does that happen? I was always pretty competitive um, growing up, whether you're playing, you know, on the on the schoolyard with your friends or, or playing pickup hockey with your buddies. I was always super competitive. So as soon as I was, while I got older and was, um, you're allowed to fight really in junior hockey, you figured out you you were just half decent at it. But for me, it was all about um, competing and, and fighting when you're angry. Um, I, I never, I rarely did it uh, casually. There always had to be a reason why I did it. 
in junior hockey. Yeah. And as, 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 as pro hockey comes around, things are a little bit different, but, um, but no, I wouldn't say I, I love fighting, but I think the competitive juices were flowing. Then, then you enjoy it. You get, you get into the game and, and that's what, that's what I like. Did you, do you remember an outdoor game you played versus San Jose? I was on the roster of the Sharks and all I wanted to do was get into a fight. That's pretty much was my main objective is to fight at the 49ers stadium. I asked you, I asked Clifford, I asked Matt Green and nobody would fight me. Why, why were the LA Kings afraid to fight outside? Uh, I think, I mean, I think you're playing a lot of minutes that night. At least six. uh, Yeah. I think the coach was, was feeling pretty good about you. So you know, we wanted to we wanted to watch you go up and down that ice. It's they're always their excuse, Tim. You don't get enough minutes. Yeah, so we wanted to watch. We wanted to enjoy the game. You know, <laughs> we wanted to just just play and have fun out there. That's what a lot of those games are about. But like I said before, I I would rarely square up with someone. I didn't like it. Yeah, didn't enjoy it. If someone asked me off the face off, I would generally tell them to. To take a run at someone or, or take a run at me, no I would kidding. need kind of that. I would need kind of that engagement in order to be into the fight. So whenever I would just say, "Yeah, sounds good," I generally didn't do well, or I would feel the need to take a run at someone, and then that would get me going a little bit. Yeah, but yeah, I didn't. I didn't enjoy just uh, saying, "Yeah, sounds good." I wasn't. I wasn't good at those. You. I'm interested. Why, why did your career end so early? Cause I don't think, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think you had injury issues, right? What happened? Because you're a very valuable player. You can obviously keep up with the play. You have some playoff experience. What happened? Cause you're a young kid still. Yeah. I mean, I played, well, I played, I got called up in, uh, in 2012 as a, as a 22 year old, I spent five or five or six. Yeah. About five seasons with, the Kings, where he won two cups. Mm-hmm. I had I did have back surgery in LA near the end. I actually that that probably has something to do with it. Now that you think about it, but I did have back surgery. Um, that was a six month recovery at the end of the season, and then the following season I had groin issues near the tail end of the season, and that caused a little bit of a a little bit of a you know uproar within question within, mark. Yeah, with yeah. management and, and trainers. Um, and then that caused back issues and that shut me down for the season. And then Daryl was let go, Dean was let go, uh, new management coming in. Got shipped off to Buffalo for a year. And you know, when you play on those on those bad teams, um, it's hard for anyone to kind of to get out of that. But after that season, um, I signed a two-way with St. Louis. Uh started off in the American League in San Antonio, Texas. Played really well, you know. I want to get back to the NHL. Played really well. Worked my way back up, up and down all year, pretty much. Won the team that won the cup that year, and then the following season, um, they signed me to a nice, a nice deal, and then they named me captain in the American League. So that's when I kind of, you know, what I mean, that's when you kind of know that you're down. The captain of an AHL there. team. It's it's good, but also not good. Yeah, um, that's when you know it's kind of like no matter how well you play, you know, I'm not coming up and playing second, first time minutes. So I do come up 
Mm-hmm. I think I'm, I still think I played some of the, my best hockey near the end of my career as you know, get more mature and you get more comfortable. So I thought I was playing great hockey when I was on St. Louis, but I think they prefer to have, you know, younger guys in those roles and give those guys opportunities. But no, I feel like also COVID, COVID happened. COVID shut down the season, took a year and a half off, went to Pittsburgh camp. That was about two or three months before we actually started playing in the American League. Mm-hmm. Uh, two daughters at home, living in a hotel, getting tested every day, going to the rink, getting tested. Had to leave right away, can't hang out with the guys. Living in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Uh, it doesn't where, sound too appealing, yeah. No, like I had Trevor Daly on my side, and they just talk about, um, you know, about starting off the season right, and hopefully we'll, we'll be up there back in Pittsburgh soon enough. But at that point, it's the getting called up is not the, the thrill it used to be. Mm-hmm. So that's when I just, you know, I, I had enough and, and thought it was time to try something new. And here we are. And here we are. About to embark on the Shorezy saga. Look, at he just looked over at the Shorezy people. He's like, see, we're segueing into Shorezy. <laughs> Tim's a big Shorezy fan. I myself don't have a TV. It's a lifestyle choice. I don't want to talk about it. I very rarely bring it up, but Tim watches Shorzy religiously, right, Tim? I watched the whole thing in like maybe two days because I was late to the. I was late to it. I didn't watch Leonard Kenny, but then I saw someone put me on the Shorzy. I watched it in two nights. Really, really funny. So, how do you get involved in this? How does that work? Because this is what season two or three of Shorzy. Yeah, season two is coming out. Um, again, I came home in February from Pittsburgh. Okay. I would say like almost six months of like nothing, right? Because it's COVID also. Yeah. We couldn't work our hockey schools. We couldn't go into our communities and and, and provide those. I was also, what am I going to do with the rest of my life? Mm-hmm. Well, I signed up for firefighting. Um, I graduated that last summer. I called the LA Kings if there's anything that I could do for them. So they signed me to be uh, an ambassador and a community relations consultant. So I would be out there every other month. Um, helping run events and then out of nowhere my brother got a random email from one of the producers saying you know we're working on a new show would you be interested and my brother called me right away and we had no clue you know what it was going to turn out to be but speaking to them a little bit they want to hear our thoughts and yeah so I, I called LA and explained the situation so they said, yeah, no problem. Kind of have fun. We'll give you that time off. So that was really it. We got a, a random email. And uh, here we are now promoting season two. So what, how, because you're not an actor. How does that work? Well, do, do I am they, an actor. I'm part of the uh, the union, right? Well, you're, you're part, uh, is Canada SAG after? Or is that, they got a different one in Canada? A different one, yeah. So Okay. But you're, you're it's not your trade. You're not a trained actor. How do you, did they give you acting lessons? Do they coach you up? Do you have to go to like a crash course on the weekend and say, okay, this is how you act? Or do they just say, be yourself? I was, you know, we, we got there a week early. We, uh, we read over the script together and uh, he would give us some points, but you know, it, it's pretty simple. We're, we're just be as natural as possible. Say it how you would normally say it. Don't try and overdo it. Mm-hmm. But uh, but Jared's Jared Kiso, the creator of the show and and star, he's very good at kind of making it feel like a team. It feels like a team effort. 
it feels like you're just with the boys kind of making a TV show and having fun. You know, there's no, you know, super tense moments where I don't know what I'm doing or, or I'm uncomfortable situation. It really does feel like you're hanging out with your teammates making a TV show about hockey. Mm-hmm. And then that's how it feels. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about Jared Kiso. Cause he's such a, I mean, he's obviously much bigger in Canada than he is in the States, but he's getting a lot bigger here too. Like what's he like to work with? How much like creative control does he have? Or is he kind of like letting you guys do your thing? No, he's, I mean, I said earlier before, he's kind of like, he feels like he's the owner, uh, the GM, the head coach and your <laughs> team captain. You know, he, he created the whole world that we're in. And again, it, it we honestly feel like a team. Like he's in there hanging out with us, we're having a good time. He might hear something and, and put it in the script. Someone might act a certain way, he might put that in the script. We walk in the dress room, work on our filming, and he'll say, All right, take a look around the room. If it doesn't look natural, change it. Mm-hmm. If a goal or a fight doesn't look natural, you know, don't be afraid to speak up and then tell us how to make it better. But he's um no, he's a very hard worker. He's always, he knows everyone's name. He, he shows up and, and he's ready to get it done. But he also wants to be part of that team atmosphere. Because like, we're, we're not, if we're in between takes, we're just sitting there doing what you normally do as, as a team. You know, we're playing music, we're having a good time, and he'll come in and join and then be called back out to, to film something. So it's, uh, it does feel like a, a team collaboration. Yeah, that was my next question. Kind of already answered it. Like, what's the difference between guys that actually played in the NHL on set? Like, are you guys are are you guys bringing up like bits of dialogue? Are you guys impacting like the story and everything like that, just based on your experience actually playing professional hockey versus the actors that didn't? Yeah, it, it does. Uh, you know, I'm not sure. I think Jared has a, a clear idea of what he wants to do and what what he wants to show to look like. There are certain moments where things are said where he would say, well, what would you say here? Or how would you do that? All the on ice action is we have stunt coordinators, but they lean on us a lot because they want the fights to look good for, for TV, but they also want them to look real. So that's where we would kind of come in. But, um, but I would say, yeah, Jared generally has, he, he runs the show, but we're there to kind of help whenever he, uh, whenever he asks. Do you feel like you need to be a hockey fan to enjoy the show? No, not at all. Um, I watched season two last night, and I thought it was, you know, it was pretty, pretty good show. And there's so many different characters where you can relate to anyone, and that's what you know. If the film is filmed in Northern Ontario, based in Sudbury, Ontario, and what you see in that locker room and in that city is what you're seeing on the television show. So I think it represents. You know, it, it it feels like you're really watching a senior hockey team kind of have have some fun, enjoy their off nights, um, and really just kind of take in Sudbury, Ontario. Without giving any spoilers, what can we expect for season two? Season two, um, we're we're back, we're better than ever. We're trying to go for a league record. <laughs> uh, we have a new rival American team, which will feature a couple players that um, you will recognize. Uh, we got Freddie Waugh, Patrick Waugh's son, on season two. Um, we just met Freddie for the first. I'm not sure if he was maybe there after in Buffalo, after you came, after you. Mm-hmm. But um, but no, I never met Freddie before, and 
And it's cool because you film these scenes where you don't really know what's going on. You read your parts, the scenes that you're in, and then you kind of don't worry about the rest. So when I rewatch, when I watched it last night, I thought Freddie did, you know, an unreal job and then a real fun character. So it's uh, it's fun to see the show kind of all come together. So we're going to bring it back a little bit to uh, that King's run again, because we had a lot of questions about that. We tweeted this out before the show, send in your questions for Jordan. And most of the questions or a lot of them are for that. And so, I mean, I think the 2012 run was probably one of the most iconic in the last 20 years, because you have an eighth seed sneaking in and going 16 and four, which is just unheard of. Uh, What was special about that group for you, do you think? Yeah, I, I feel like I didn't realize how special it was until the end of your career. I mean, I got called up and I was 22 years old. Um, first time on the NHL team. It just felt like a bunch of superstars. But um, as I got older, I'm looking back on it now and being a part of different teams from LA to, to Buffalo, to, to St. Louis, to different organizations. <laughs> it's funny how people put the emphasis on Buffalo. Yeah. Buffalo. <laughs> yeah I just realized... Um, Really, it starts from the top. It starts with how uh, Dean Lombardi set up the culture and, and what's expected, and and how um, how intense he kind of made that atmosphere. You know, I would I wouldn't wear a hat to the rank, and you wouldn't want to wear flip flops. He very high, he had that mentality, and then to bring in Daryl to kind of make sure he's, he's whipping you guys into shape. But really, just look at the team. I think like Brownie was our captain, Kopi. Uh, we were probably the more quiet guys in that room. You know, we had you know we had Matt Green, we had Stoll, we had Carter, we had Richards, we had Williams, we had William Mitchell. We, everyone on the team was uh, a competitor. Everyone wanted to win. It didn't feel like we had uh, a star player to kind of jump on their back, or uh, we had no baby. So really, it it felt like a team full of competitive guys who liked to win and uh, played hockey the right way. How were you not just terrified coming in? Because like you said, you got, you played a handful of regular season games, 26, and then you're playing in the Stanley cup finals. Were you nervous at all to make a mistake to like mess up and just ruin a season or this and that? Because that's like, I, I wouldn't even know what to do in that situation. I felt probably nervous and Anxious, I would say, from the moment I got called up. Yeah. So we won the Stanley Cup. Um, just because D- D- Daryl and Dean set a, such a high standard for what the team expects and how practice should be and how a game should be. And they gave it to you black and white. If you played bad, they would let you know if you played great. It's a good job. But they had such a high demand for you, and, and you demand that of yourself. So there really wasn't any any moments of, of letdown in my game or how I felt. You know, I felt like I was going to get sent down probably halfway through playoffs, even though we were uh, steamrolling teams. But, you know, I would say I never once relaxed. I enjoyed I enjoyed being there, mm-hmm. but I went to sleep over uh, losing games. It was more about making sure I did the, the best job that I could. What do you think about Daryl Sutter? Just how, how he's just being portrayed now? Because I like Daryl, too. I thought he was a great coach. I thought he got the most out of his players. And then he goes to Calgary. And I, my opinion is he runs into some soft players who can't handle the truth and they just throw him under the bus. So what do you think about that whole situation? It is. Yeah. It's a different world now. The players are different players were 
treated differently differently growing up. For me, you know, he probably for me he was always uh, super intense. He always demanded a lot of you, mm-hmm. which was a good thing. He gave it to you black and white. Um, but he could also be friends with you the next day. He could be buddy with you. How's your family doing? How's your dad doing? How's your wife doing? But um, he definitely was an intense person. Don't get me wrong. He wasn't always your friend, but certain teams need that. Certain teams need to to have some kind of whip them in shape. And I think without him, we wouldn't have been that good. And I think it kind of brought our team together a little bit. It could have, once it could be us against him in some ways, mm-hmm. um, which is probably what he wanted. He wanted the team to come together. But no, I really don't have anything uh, bad to say about Daryl. He made me a better player. He demanded a lot of myself and he kind of always gave it to you honest. If if you were playing good, you would play more. And if you weren't, you wouldn't. There wasn't no, you know, that was that's the way it was. And he demanded a lot of from his assistant coaches, uh, his training staff. And it wasn't just the players, you know, he was, you know, hard on everyone, but I think he was fair. It is just a lot different than what today's generation is used to. Did he ever grab your phone and demand to look at your pictures? No, none of that going on. A couple of guys I want to ask about. First, Jonathan Quick. I mean, arguably the best performance ever for a goalie in a playoff run. Can you talk about, I mean, just what it was like to watch him doing what he was doing every single night? Yeah, I think just coming into, I mean, when people ask what your, what was your welcome to the NHL moment, I would say it was my first practice with the team. How intense it was and how fast it was in, in Long Island. And how competitive everyone was. So, I mean, watching Quickie, it, I felt like I wasn't saying, wow, like this guy's like staying on his head, or that's just what I saw every day. I saw him at his top level in practice. I saw how competitive he was. <laughs> I saw how intense he was. So for me, it wasn't, uh, it was just like watching any other goalie. But I think I was pretty spoiled with what I came into. Um, as I mm-hmm. you know, learn later on. Another guy I want to... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, Anze Kopitar. Obviously, there's a lot of leaders on that team, a lot of veterans. Here he is, you know, 12 years later, still playing, you know, some of his best hockey ever. Can you talk a little bit about what he was like as a player and as a leader in that room? Uh, very calm, calm demeanor about him. Um, also very competitive. We'll kind of turn it on when he had to. Um just a naturally big body, you know, Kopi and, and Brown, you didn't say too much. Um, but when they did, everyone would kind of listen and they were the lead. They weren't the guys that stand for the best. They come on boys, let's get going here or, you know, I'll try and do that. They would get out there and compete and play hard. So they were guys that you could definitely lean on and talk to about certain things, but they also would keep the room light. You know, they did have those kind of quiet, um funny things about them um so they were both pretty funny guys but yeah Kopi was so big and skilled and again I just felt pretty spoiled you know coming into to play on some of these you know future hall of famers we uh, another listener question here is how did your interactions with the Kings fans change from before that run and you were kind of an up and down guy to after being a cup champion how did that change with the fans Yeah, I feel like 
I feel like where we're based out of in, in, uh, in Manhattan, Hermosa Beach, you know, the fans always treated us well. But um, going into that next level of Stanley Cup champions, uh, we were kind of the, the toast of the town. You know, I think all the other LA teams weren't doing very well at the time. So we were in the main show. And I, I honestly thought it was one of the best rings to play in. But I think for most teams, when you're doing well, any rink is really good. But LA always has a special place in my heart, and it's, um, it's a great organization. But again, the fans, they're, they're, they're pretty loyal. And anytime I go back there, they're always, you know, happy to see me. And, uh, and that feels pretty good. Who's the stars? Because once the playoffs roll around, we know the stars come out. I remember running into Jim Carrey, you know, underneath the, this Coliseum mm-hmm. there. Who, who were some of the big names that would try to be, uh, jock sniffers come playoff time we we would have few because i think you know it was a different culture we did have daryl we did have dean yeah you think those guys wanted celebrities coming in after every game uh-uh. so we had we had tom hanks come through brian cranston um after we won uh david beckham came out with us for the night so that was pretty cool um <laughs> so yeah i would say I think I'd say probably say David Beckham came to our after party. Um, he came to our cup celebration for that that management put on. That was like a dinner and, and everything. And then we went out to uh, into Hollywood and Beckham joined us. And just kind of how uh, classy he was too. Um, just a really nice person. So that was pretty cool to see. What's a part? What's a party like in LA look like? Because I we would go out. I remember with the Hawks, the famous story was like. Miley Cyrus was at a party and that's when she was rumored to be dating Kaner and everybody went and whatever. It was like a, a famous picture of her getting caught with some drugs and we were in the vicinity. What's a party like in LA? Is it a house party where everybody goes and you just show up? Or are you at, are you at the club? Are you bouncing around the club? I, because it's different in Chicago, we would go to a hole in the wall pub and that's where we would kind of post up for the night. It was different. I mean, you had, we had everything we had, we had the beach area, so we would have our private clubs there. We have a hole in the wall that guys would like to go to. And it was rare that we would go to Hollywood because it was so far. So once in a while, the young guys would would have something set up there. But it was no different than, you know, going out in, in New York and, and big cities like that. But I would say we were more of a more of a hole in the wall kind of team. I think that's most teams in general enjoy yeah. that. Yeah, so I think when you go to when you go to Hollywood, it's it's fun to see for the first time, and you might see some people that you've never seen before. You might see, you know, Leo at the next table, which is which is pretty cool. Hold on a second, Leo, who? Um, yeah, some Leo guy. I forget his last name. Are you kidding me? Really? You see him? You know, we saw him in New York City at a place that one of the guys recommended. Um, so little things like that obviously are are pretty cool to see, but that was rare. It was it was it was rare for us to go to those big nightclubs in uh, in Hollywood. Tim's big claim to fame is he was once at a bar with Rob Gonkowski and he took a picture of him like fifty feet away. Rob so was at a bar with me, so you're hanging out with Leonardo DiCaprio. That's pretty legit. Like that's I've never seen him in real life, but that's pretty cool. All right. Get back to the fighting. What's your best fight? Because I, I, I just talk you fights to you before the interview. You fought all the tough guys. And you're not 6'8", 270 pounds like I am. So you were 
a lot of the times fighting out of your weight class when it came to these fights. Who was your best fight, most memorable fight? My best fight? I like that Sheldon Surrey fight. I feel like that was one of my first few ones. Okay. And, you know, he was a bigger name. He's a tougher guy. Um, so I feel like I did really well there. That was one of the more memorable ones. I fought um I fought Luch in Boston. Mm-hmm. Um I feel like that Matt was it Matt Carter? Yep. He was pretty tough. <laughs> um he was a big boy. So I think once we started going, like it felt like we we're going toe to toe for like 10 seconds. But when you watch the video, it's like 0.2 seconds. <laughs> so I think I pulled out of that pretty quick. We're like, oh, I'm not doing this. What's but, it uh, like knowing going into a fight? Because I never like, like I said, I'm I'm a monster. I'm I suck mm-hmm. at hockey, but I'm I'm huge. Is it intimidating going into a fight knowing you're giving up thirty pounds and like five inches when you fight a dirtbag like Tom Sestito? Um, I was never scared. I was never scared to fight. Um, there was at times where maybe your heart wasn't in it, like you didn't want to do it for sure. That's why for me it was tough to to line up or just say, hey, you want to go? I needed I needed a hit or I needed someone to say something. I needed that close interaction. I always like starting close and yeah. never like squaring up. But uh, but no, I was never once scared um going into a fight. Uh, Chris Neal, I think, was his thousandth game in LA. You I fought him big, on his a thousandth game? I had a big hit. And uh, I forget what the score was, but I mean, it was Ottawa. They probably weren't great at the time. He asked me. Jordan just throwing bars here. It was one of those ones where you just couldn't like, you couldn't say no, it's a thousand game. And uh, my heart wasn't in that one. I didn't get killed or anything like that, but. Imagine if you knocked out Chris Neal and ended his career on a thousand. Yeah. It's also that side of things. You don't want to like. Well, you do. You like a trivia question. Yeah, so it's not like you want to try and you're think about killing the guy. You're just thinking about kind of getting through it, really. So you for mentioned me, me- mental is a huge part of your fighting game. How do you get up for a fight then? Do you have to get some? Does someone have to lay out one of your teammates in order for you to get engaged in a fight? Like what? What does it take for your wires to cross and you want to fight somebody? It takes a lot, I would say. Yeah, it wasn't natural. Even like, yeah, like I would need something. I would have to go even to play games. I would have to go out and and do get a big fight or, or push someone to get myself into the game right away. Cause the coach was always saying like, as soon as you get in that fight, you play a lot better. No kidding. It was true. Cause it got me more engaged. So um, yeah, I would have to find us. I would have to find a way to get myself engaged to do that. That's interesting. Even, even at the end of my career um, in the American league, I would find someone on each team who I knew I was going to play against all night. And I would, make it a point to kind of take runs of them to get myself engaged. I had nothing to do with the guy, but to get myself engaged in the game. Imagine being that that's guy why my, I think that's why my career was a little short too, because I could never just kind of go out there and fight when we're down. And yeah, I didn't like doing that. And I think my career probably would have been longer if I would have been willing to do that more. The guy's like that. Nolan's buried me like six times tonight. I don't know what the, what I did to him but he just saw over my cake. That's, that's so interesting that you acknowledge your, you, you know what the issue is to not be engaged in the game. It's because you, you just can't mentally check in. That's so interesting to me because I didn't like fighting also, but as soon as I might, the gloves hit the ice, I'm like, let's go. I'm, I'm going to win this fight. The, the competitive juices started flowing. 
do you, do you ever regret not having that switch to be able to go, okay, like this? Because you you just said my career could have been longer. No, I don't think so. I don't really regret too much. Um, no, I was happy with the way my career went. Mm-hmm. I'm happy with where I am now in my life. And um, but yeah, it was a constant um struggle's not the word, but it was a constant something I had to okay, I gotta get myself up for this one. Yeah. Um it's it's I think it's easier when you're playing in the American League and you're playing more minutes and you're engaged in the game, but when you're playing the six to eight minutes, it's uh it's pretty hard to, depending on your on your character and how you uh approach the game. So for me it was uh, a challenge and I would generally find a way to get myself engaged. Yeah. Right away. But that's what I had. It wasn't a natural thing for me. I had to find a way to, to get involved in the game. No, I didn't like fighting either. I've been, I've said it a bunch where it just, it's not natural to go out and fist fight somebody yeah. at the drop. I hate the stage fighting too. I just, it's fascinating. You don't hear many people say that what you're saying. It's yeah. very not common. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, my 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 dad has always known that about me. It's uh, I'm just a more laid back approach on life, and it, it does take a little bit of. Uh, does that drive him nuts? Because you you can see the physical assets you have, and he's like, "Come on, Jordan, just do it." Yeah, um, that was his main thing. Was was you know working hard and and um, really just hard work. So yeah, but if he didn't see I was engaged, you know, he he would let me know. He wasn't afraid to let me know. He wasn't even care if I made good plays or or this and that. It was more if I was engaged in the game and showed some intensity out there. This is fascinating to me, Tim. Mm-hmm. Oh. Very well, Tim does this rapid fire, Jordan. I know you got a three o'clock card out. The Shorzy people are probably poking your chair saying, let's go, let's go. So we got nine minutes, Tim. We're going to do rapid fire. Then we're going to follow up with some Shorzy closers. So Tim, take it away. Okay. Just rapid fire answers. Favorite uh, pregame meal. Chicken parm. Favorite subject in school? I actually like religion. I want, yeah, I like religion. Nice. Celebrity crush? Probably Ava Mendez. Back in the day. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's nice. You got to get her on the show. (laughs) Hardest defenseman to play against in your career? Uh, Chara. Love it. Uh, this might be a tough one. At, at what age were you no longer the best player on your team? <clears throat> Four. That was, that's my answer. <laughs> I felt like I was a pretty good player. I felt like I was, this is rapid fire. You want to quick? You can no, answer however you want. It. I felt like I was one of the top players growing up. I, I think I led a team of points in, in the OHL. Um, I was a first second line player in the American League when I was getting called up, had power play and PK. And I kind of fell into that. I wasn't a top NHL player, obviously. But I would say, yeah, I would say when I turned pro. Favorite vacation spot? Uh, Hermosa Beach. All right, last question. We have a lot of young kids that listen to the show. What advice do you give to young hockey players about growing their game and being better hockey players? Hmm. Uh, I still ask myself that question, but, uh, but no, I think it's important to, to kind of have no regrets. I think it's important to, whether you go into a training session or you want to practice, 
um, when you go into a game, you don't want to look back and say, oh, I should have, I should have worked harder. I should have uh, tried this or tried that. So again, for myself, it was, it was more about the uh, getting engaged in the game. So I would always look back and go, I, I probably should have played harder tonight. I probably should have did more. So I think having no regrets and kind of knowing you put it all out on the line. And even for, for schooling, when I did firefighting, I didn't want to have regrets saying, oh, I should have studied more for that test. I want to feel as confident as I can going into it. So I think preparation um, and having kind of no regrets after that, you, you want to feel ready and you want to feel like you're putting your best foot forward. That's great advice, Tim. It is. I wrote it down. You know what I find interesting? We have a lot of fourth line, third line gay guys on the show. All of them are their best players in the OHL. And you go and look at the stats. It's like, yeah. So people think these fourth line guys are just, you know, can't can't shoot a puck or this and that. It's like, no, they're they're the best players on their team in the OHL and in college and in the AHL. Everybody's good. I wasn't, but for the most part, top to bottom, everybody's crazy talented. Yeah. It's just remarkable. Yeah, I, th- I find that just, just very the, interesting. It's really just the the stars and the studs that you know separate themselves. I don't know how yeah. I got there, but it, everybody else is a star from their team. I was always the worst player. Like I'm at top top ten on my team for every team up until pro. Then I was the worst. Found a I way. Was, yeah, I found I was the I, worst guy every year at my team in the NHL, which is fine, right, Jordan? That's okay. That's what I asked, right? It's not. Were you? Who was the worst player on the LA Kings when you were there? Worst player? Yeah. Uh, Colin Frazier. Oh, I hate Fraz. I agree. Worst hair, too. Like, I've yeah, never we, seen a Brillo pad. Yeah. We had our 10 year reunion in the summer, uh, last summer, or so for the 2012 run. So it was good to see him again. And, um, he was on my golfing team, actually. So bad golfer too. <laughs> it's an all-around bad guy. Yeah, terrible. This you, you want a friend like Jordan, Tim. That's what you want. Just he's one of a kind. All right, Tim. Wrap it up with some Shorzy stuff, and then we'll let him go because it's almost three o'clock. Yeah, season two is coming out. Where can our listeners watch it? Where they where can they find it? They can find it on Crave tomorrow. The first two episodes air, and then it's every Friday. Um, a new episode is coming out. And then in the States, it's October 27th. Wow. Yeah. So I'm from dialed in today. So what, what, a, what network in the States is a crave in the States as well? Hulu. Hulu. Yeah. Hulu. That's like a big time station. That's right. We're, we're big time. We're craves. Number one show, I believe when it debuted for season one, are you signed on for season three? Uh, that hasn't nothing's been announced there, so we don't know what's going on. Your character but, doesn't uh, die. I don't think so, unless yeah, I don't believe so. But no, um, uh, that's exciting. All right, well, thank you very much, Jordan Nolan, for being on. I appreciate it. Check it out, Shorzy, tomorrow on Crave, eight o'clock Eastern. Is that right? Midnight. At midnight. It debuts on midnight? Right? At midnight. Whose idea was that? It's good to go. You're ready whenever you wake up. You want to start it? You can start it. Is it only internet stuff? I thought Crave was like a TV channel. Everything's streaming now, John. Is it all streaming? Yeah. 
We'll cut that last part out. All right, check it out. It drops on midnight on Crave.com. Check it out, everybody. Shorzy, Jordan Oler. What's your character name again? Jim. Jim. Just straight Jim. Jim. Yeah, Jim, yeah. I love it. All right, everybody. Thank you for listening. Thank you, Jordan Nolan, for being here. I appreciate it, man. Good luck with season two. We'll talk to everybody next week. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Dropping the Gloves with John Scott, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from to never miss an episode.